Let's lift our hands and pray for Sister Megan Croston right now. She's at OSU, not feeling well. Seems to have an enlargement of what she's been battling in her liver. We want to lift our hands and pray that God would touch her. Would you ask God to bring healing up on her body? We're praying right now for Sister Megan Croston. In the name of Jesus, we ask you, God, to heal her body. We're asking you, oh God, to move upon her spirit right now. In the name of Jesus, I pray for divine healing. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. Oh God. Oh God. Come on, she would do anything she could to be here right now in this service. She loves God so much. Let's lift our hands, oh God. We pray for healing against that cancer in her body. We pray for divine healing. Oh God, oh God, oh God, hear us from heaven. Oh God, we ask you to hear us from heaven. Touch our situation, oh God. Come on, over the spirit of the, the Lord is moving. We're asking you, God, to hear our cry, to hear our call. Oh Lord, in Jesus' name, we're praying for a miracle for this family, a miracle for Megan today. knows exactly what you need and what you're going through, doesn't he? Let's turn to the book of John, chapter 7. John, chapter 7, verse 37, 38, 39. Thank you, praise team. Everybody that's here today, God bless you. Pray the Lord blesses you. Amen. John 7, 37 has a whole lot more meaning to it than what I've ever understood until recently. John 7, 37 In the last day everybody say that great day of the feast. Sounds like Thanksgiving. Doesn't it? Jesus stood and cried, saying, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. He that believeth on me, as the Scripture hath said, out of his belly, everybody say the next phrase with me, shall flow rivers of living water. Verse 39 is, a, is in parentheses explaining the living water, the rivers of living water, but this spake he of the Spirit, which they that believe on him should receive. For the Holy Ghost, everybody shout, the Holy Ghost was not yet given because that Jesus was not yet glorified. The Holy Ghost was going to be poured out. It was poured out on the day of Pentecost, wasn't it? The Bible says in that upper room were about 120. They all began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance or the ability to speak. 
Let me know Jesus made a statement just before he ascended into heaven. He said, these signs shall follow them that believe. In my name shall they cast out devils. They shall speak with new tongues. They shall lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. Acts 2, the Holy Ghost was poured out. Acts 8, the Holy Ghost was poured out. You'll find in Acts 10 and Acts 19, just to name a few of the places, that the Spirit of the Lord was poured out. And he said, this is living water. Everybody shout, living water. I'd like to preach to you on this subject today, the shallow end of the pool. The shallow end of the pool. You need to stay with me today. I'm going to take you somewhere in the scripture. Everybody say, the shallow end of the pool. Amen. Amen. God bless you as you are seated. My children really don't think it's a vacation unless there's a pool involved. Any other parents in the room know what I'm talking about? They think there's got to be a pool. And uh, I grew up on a river, didn't swim in a whole lot of pools because I had living water flowing out front of me. Uh, I remember when I was just a boy, dad, dad threw me in the water, you know, and I thought I was going to lose my life. And uh, he had never thrown me into a deep place, but I didn't realize that in the panic, panic of the moment. My Aunt Mary uh, taught me how to swim at five years old and took a lot of that panic away from me. But I've noticed as a parent, you look at things a whole lot different. When you have little kids, you know, and around water, and, and uh, you go to the hotel, you're sort of thankful that at least at one end that there's a what? A shallow end of the pool and over years and we put them in swimming lessons because we we didn't want to have a fear around water or something to go wrong around water so from the time they're very very little uh, we put them in water I remember one time somehow somehow Sawyer when he was about a year and a half old he was swimming at uh, around the edge with with one of the little cousins there and I'll never forget that I was by the diving board and I saw that little cousin not paying attention. Sawyer was outside of the outside of the pool at the moment, but I saw Sawyer get to the edge and he starts doing one of these numbers. He just a year and a half. I knew he's going in. He's going in. I jumped and began to swim to him because his little cousin wasn't paying attention. And boy, there he was, sunk down in that pool. I rushed there as fast as I could in the water. When I grabbed him under the water and lifted him up. Biggest smile on that face you've ever seen right there. He just, year and a half old, shook that water off of his head. But there is a fear as a parent that, that the kids would get in over their head. And so uh, years go by and they learn to swim. You hold them by their belly and their doggy paddling, kicking their feet. How many know I'm talking about? You parents that's taught your kids how to swim. And, and uh, it's not long until they start inching closer and it's not long. They want to be where? What part of the pool they want to be in? They're too big. They, they want to wrestle now in the shallow end, but they want, to, they want to swim in the deep end. I want to say to this congregation today that there is a deep end of the pool. There is a place in God that the Bible says, the deep calleth unto the deep. There is a deep relationship with God of revelations and understandings and experiences. and You can read about it in Scripture, but I want you to know that None of us start off in the deep end with God. We start off in a shallow end with minimal understanding. The Bible says to every man is dealt a 
measure of faith. You don't have perfect faith. You just have some faith. The Bible says some had little faith. Some had great faith. Some had perfect faith. And when you begin to look at it, God wants us today to start somewhere. You can't compare yourselves to me or somebody around you that you feel is in a deeper relationship and think, where am I at? Where's my relationship with God? Can I tell you today, we should long for the deep end, but we need to start on the shallow end. Everybody shout, just start somewhere. I mean, remember when you get around the water and you, you hold onto the rail and, and the kids, they, splat, they, they, they put their feet in there first and then they take the steps and they start getting down. You're trying to encourage them to get in. And my, other, my other kids, I had to encourage. Sorry, I didn't ever have to encourage. He just wanted to jump in. He, he didn't care what end of the pool it was. But, but start wading down and you start getting in and they're getting closer. And that's sort of the way it is living for God. You have steps to get near him and close to him. He makes himself approachable. God makes himself, everybody say, attainable. He allows us with him to have a shallow end experience to go into a deeper relationship with God. And how many glad God allowed a shallow end of the pool for us? Somebody say amen. Aren't you glad you didn't jump in the church and you became a spiritual adult overnight? I mean, back in the day, I think that back in the day in the church, they they thought that if you gave your life to the Lord, you're supposed to do everything the same night. And uh, you had to get it all in one night. It really doesn't work that way. Jesus never laid hands on a baby and it became an adult. I mean, know that. It took time to grow into. It's a process. Everybody shout, process. It's a process of sanctification, which means to be made holy. And yeah, we can be saved today, but it doesn't mean we're going to have it all figured out tomorrow. But God allows us to grow in Him and the knowledge of the truth. And I believe we will be judged accordingly. And I'll tell you what I don't want to do. I don't want to put off getting in the shallow end because I have expectations of the deep end and And so I'm not going to do anything because I don't know if I can live that way. And so I'm not going to start. I'm going to tell you, I wouldn't want to stand before God and not start it. Amen. Because somebody else has a relationship. And I don't know if I can live up to that. I don't know. Just just what I'm preaching to you today is you've got to start somewhere. Just get in and start praying. Get in and start going to church. Open your Bible and start reading it. You don't have to read it all tonight, but just start somewhere. Grab a verse and go after it. Amen. Someone once said that Genesis is the most read book of the Bible. Because they start. (laughs) I don't think we just need to start. We need to keep going through. I told him yesterday, I said, how is it that we we just get and we start reading? You know, when you get to the the big at chapters, anybody know what the big at chapters are? Come on, you can't pronounce all that. How many's ever tried? Then you just start reading silently because you feel so dumb. Amen. You know what I'm talking about? Try to be the preacher up here trying to announce all those names. Behelahel Rohai. Boy, it just makes me feel good if I got it right. Then some scholar comes up and said, Pastor, just want you to know you didn't say that right. Yeah, shut up. That's what we feel like saying, right? Yeah. You get to the big gats and you get in, you get in plow mode. Anybody know what I'm talking about? You get the dozer out and you're just cranking in high gear and letters are going everywhere. 
I just get through the chapter. You're not always going to understand the begats. You're not going to understand. But if you just keep reading, it's not long. I remember I would skim through the begat chapters. Hold on to the Bible I didn't understand. But at eight years old, I just kept reading. Nine years old, ten years old, eleven years old, twelve years old. It was a, 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 a thing that I would just continue to do throughout my life is reading my Bible daily. And what I've learned is after a while, you find yourself getting deeper in it understandings and revelations and as I teach it's like working crossroad puzzles I mean uh, it's like working jigsaw puzzles that uh, each verse being like a puzzle piece that starts connecting it's not long until you start seeing a bigger picture everybody shout, shout you got to start somewhere when you look at the scripture and Jesus starts making this statement today and you're going to think that that my text has nothing to do with my message but it really does because chapter 7 starts out in verse 1 of John. It says, after these things, Jesus walked in Galilee, for he would not walk in Jewry, which means present himself in, in the crowd of the Jews because the Jews sought to kill him. You know, they didn't like Jesus very much. He came into his own, and his own received him not. Now the Jews' feast of tabernacles, everybody say the feast of tabernacles. Two Sunday nights ago, maybe a little bit longer than that, I preached on the feast, I talked about the forgotten journey. What I preached about was the feast of booths or the feast of tabernacles, same thing. There was three, everybody say three. There was three pilgrimage feasts that the Jews would hold every year. Passover, Pentecost, and the feast of tabernacles. They would pilgrimage in, I mean travel in from out of town to be there. and They would stay for that length of time, whether it's the Passover, whether it was Pentecost, which was the feast of weeks, and as a celebration, and they would, even the Feast of Pentecost, they would, they would not eat for three days. They would, they would not eat for three days. They would step all night, have an all-night prayer meeting, and on the Pentecost, which was 50 days after the Passover, they would take leavened bread and wave it, talking about the law that God had given them at Mount Sinai. And they would be there for that period of time. And they had Pentecost, that's where the Spirit of the Lord was poured out, at that feast. When you talk about the Feast of Tabernacles, it's the last of the feasts of the year. Somewhere in Octoberish, around October the 15th. They would go from Sabbath to Sabbath. It was eight days. Eight days. And they had these rituals and things that they would do uh, in that Feast of Tabernacles. The Feast of Tabernacles, and I don't want to bore you with this material, but if you'll stay with me, you'll, you'll learn something here. The Feast of Tabernacles means the, the Feast of Tents or the Feast of Booths. Or uh, first time you'll find the word booth. In scripture, Jacob made booths for his cattle. Really wasn't real accommodating and convenient for humans, but it's good enough for an animal. But what happened was the Feast of Tabernacles, the Feast of Booths, was, was to remind them of what it was like in the wilderness for 40 years. They didn't have sealed houses, which means sealing homes. Uh, they didn't have the conveniences of this today. And in the Feast of Tabernacles, what they would do is, is they would remind themselves by coming out of their nice homes. And they would build a little lean-to out of sticks and palm trees and willow, willow leaves and things out of the woods. And they would sleep outside of their home. How many of you have ever camped in your yard with your kids? How many of you have ever camped in a tent? Some of you are like, I ain't going camping when I got a nice house with AC. Amen. And, uh, but they would inconvenience themselves in the Feast of Tabernacles to remind them 
It hasn't always been this good. We didn't start here. Hasn't always been this way. There was a time that with our people that we lived in lean-tos out in the wilderness under a makeshift fort with our kids and sleeping out, out in the weather. So the Feast of Tabernacles, they would do it every year and they would sleep under a makeshift tent or booth for seven days. They got a nice bed on the other side of the wall or down below them. They do it on top the roof. They would do it in the street quarters by the brother Cody by the water gate. The Bible says they would they would pitch these tents by the water gate outside the temple, outside the, the building of God, and they would inconvenience themselves and sleep on the ground, sleep on a tent. Doesn't sound fun, does it? For some of you, it's like, yeah, I'm going camping. I've been camping this week, you know. You don't want to do that so long. You ready to go back to the house? Let's just get honest, huh? Yeah, you, you don't want to walk down to some portalette and use a bathroom anymore. You know, you want to have your own bathroom and your own, your own sink. And, and are y'all with me right now? And so every year they had the Feast of Tabernacles and people would come in. If you would have walked into Jerusalem, there would have been little makeshift huts everywhere. They were eating the fruit of the land and say, God's been good. And they had these rituals. And, and I, I'm going to tell you, every now and then, you seasoned saints need to look back and think about the time when your family wasn't living for God. When you were living in the wilderness of the world without, without the things that we so are blessed with today, if we're not careful, we'll become unthankful in our relationship with God. We'll go to church and just fold our arms and say, you ought to just be glad I'm here, preacher. It's not about the preacher. It's about God taking you from where you were to where he wants you to be. There's a destiny. There's a blessing in your life. I mean, no, we ought to enter that door with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise and be thankful and say, the Lord's been good to me. I think somebody ought to jump your feet and shout, the Lord's been good to me. God's been good to me. Amen, amen, amen. Come on, if you believe it, shout amen. Look at your neighbor and say, God is good. You may be seen if you're not careful, you'll think God's not good enough. He, he, he's not doing what you want him to do. If we're not careful, we will not. We'll forget that we've been washed in his blood and filled with his spirit and brought out of Egypt. And that's sort of the concept and the reason why. So your generation, everybody say the next generation, will know that I brought you out. I don't want my kids, I don't want my kids have to learn it from captivity. I want my kids to see appreciation from me. I want to see me with my hands raised and thankful for the goodness of God. Is there anybody in the room that just says, God's been good, he's blessed me, I'm so glad about it. I, I want my kids to love what I love. Come on. That old song says, I wouldn't take nothing for my journey now. I've got to make it to heaven somehow. Though the devil tempts me and tries to turn me around. He's offered everything that's got a name, all the wealth I want and worldly fame. But if I could still, I wouldn't take nothing for my journey is there anybody here that says, I'm going to make it to heaven. I'm taking my family with me. I, amen. God's got greater things in store. Somebody shout hallelujah. So if you can look around the room here today, we're, we're near the temple. There's a fort set up outside the church and outside the temple of God. They're on the streets. They're by the water gate. They've got all these things, and they're just being thankful. And so the priest had certain rituals that they would do, and they would go in every day, and they would send a man, a priest, they would say, get your golden pitcher. Yeah, you got your golden pitcher here today. Get your golden pitcher out. Let me see if you hold that golden pitcher up, all you priests in the building. He, they would go from the top 
of the tabernacle, excuse me, where the temple was built up on the mountain. And they would say, go down to the pool of Siloam and, and uh, go down. They'd walk down all these long, long steps. They'd get all the way down to the pool of Siloam and they would reach down there in the pool of Siloam and they'd dip down in to the water of the pool of Siloam. It would have been beautiful, clear, clear water. And, and uh, That's right, you put your picture down. You go ahead and put your picture down. They would, they would dip that and they would get that pool. Let's look at the pool of Siloam. You throw, this is just a, a drawing of what the pool of Siloam would have looked like. If you can throw that up there, the pool of Siloam has the steps around it. Do you have that? Can you throw that up there, please? You see that? that, that that's not a completely accurate drawing, but I think it gives you a little bit of a, of a picture. Matter of fact, recently they just found the pool of Siloam where they thought the pool of Siloam was, was not the pool of Siloam. They even built a whole temple over top of it. It wasn't even it. They had a water break, and it washed out underground. And they got down and started, you know, in, in Jerusalem, you don't just have a construction crew uh, with code enforcement. You have an architect, you have a, um, what, what do you call them, the archaeologist. Archaeologist goes with them because it's not just any land, this is the holy land, and they've got all kinds of history here, and so when the construction crew got down there and they started digging, they hit something hard. And, and when they did, he stopped them. They began to do what archaeologists do. When they dug it out, they found steps going down in. Where it had broken out, it had washed out. And they got in there and started moving stuff out. And they realized this is the pool of Siloam. Uh, I'm going to get to it. We're in chapter 7. I'll get to it in chapter 9 here in a moment. But the pool of Siloam was where Jesus sent the blind man to go wash the spittle out of his eyes, the clay out of his eyes. Why did Jesus send him to the pool of Siloam? Well, for one thing, it's the, it's the great day of the feast. It's, it's the time of the feast. They're, they're, Jesus is teaching in the temples. He's talking about the Feast of Tabernacles. He's talking about some things. And, and he sends him to the pool of Siloam because the pool of Siloam is very, very Critical information about the, the Feast uh, of the Tabernacles. And uh, <laughs> it's powerful. The Pool of Siloam, they, they look and find that the Pool of Siloam had five levels. And the Pool of Siloam wasn't like the Pool of Bethesda. They say the Pool of Bethesda is like 13, uh, 13 uh, uh, meters deep. That's a, that's a deep, deep well. Sort of a drop off into that. The pool of Siloam was different. It, it was like they believe it was the size of two Olympic pools. And uh, what they discovered, Sister Esther, was that what fed this was, was from the spring of Geshem. And the spring of Geshem fed through uh, a hand-hewn tunnel that was 700 years before Christ was born, dug out in the mountain through rock to the spring of Geshem. And that tunnel, Hezekiah's tunnel, in the 701 B.C., allowed fresh water to flow down into the pool of Siloam. And what they would say was, is that the pool of Siloam was called the pool of the Messiah. Isn't that interesting? It's not biblical, but it's historical point that's being made there. The word Siloam actually means the word sent. And so in the ritual, what they would do, now reach over and get your, get your golden pitcher. You didn't spill any water out of that while I was preaching, did you? Now get your neighbor and say, you better not spill that water, amen. 
they would take that. Come here, Brother Ronnie, that priest. Boy, you look nice and dignified. You look like a priest today. He, he would take that pitcher and he'd walk up to the altar. Come on now. And I believe it was on the, the west side of the altar. He would pour that water out on the altar. Another priest would come and pour wine on the east side of the altar. And what they understood, in a dryad to send the water. And what they called the water that was in the golden pitcher and they poured out, they called it the living water. It comes from a spring. It's, it's a beautiful water. It's clean water. It comes from the earth. And they would pour it over and say, it's the living water. And, and they would say that and they would rejoice in that. And that for the people that were thirsty, this pool was used for cleansing. This pool was used before you could get into the temple to worship. You had to go to the pool of Siloam to bathe off first. It was a sort of a place of sanctification and cleansing and satisfying of your own thirst. And they would pour that water out from the golden pitcher of the priest and he would say we need the living water. We need God to bless us with the rain. We need the hand of God upon our life. It was a part of the feast of tabernacles understanding. Understanding that while we were in the wilderness there was a rock that followed us for, for, for 40 years. Amen. It followed them for 40. Somebody shout 40 years. That rock followed them through a desert. I feel like preaching right now. 40 years that rock followed them. They didn't only have manna from heaven. They had a rock that followed them that millions, millions of gallons of water a day came out of that Lefevee. It was rivers of living water that followed them through the wilderness that fed there, that gave water and drink to their cattle and their sheep and their children and maybe their dogs and cats if they had them. But there was enough water to sustain everybody in the wilderness and in the desert. The New Testament says that rock was Christ. Amen. He is my sustenance. He is my water. He is my living water. He is my peace in the middle of a storm. Come on. He is the strength in the middle of my weakness. He's my hope when everything is lost. Jesus is. Thank you. So watch this. They are questioning him. They are badgering the Lord. He is telling them during this time of the great day, in, in this time of the feast, he's teaching in the temple. A bunch of them want to kill him. We read that, didn't we? Others, they don't, others won't kill him because they know, the Jews know there's something special about him. And Jesus stands on the last day of the feast of the year, the great day of the feast in my text. And this is what he says. If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. You know what he was saying? I am the pool of Siloam. I am the thirst quencher. I am what you're looking for. I am your sanctifier. I am your cleanser of all of your dirt and all of your sin. I am. Somebody shout, he is. I know I've got more to talk about, but I just feel like preaching to you. That same Jesus isn't hanging on a cross. He's not buried in a tomb. He's right here in Zanesville, Ohio. He can cleanse you. He can satisfy you. And he can heal you. He's my all in all. That's why the Bible says everything you do in word or in deed. Do all in the name of the Lord. Come on, when I pray over my food, I do it in Jesus' name. 
When I pray over my kids, I do it in Jesus' name. When I got baptized, like Acts 2.38, Acts 8, Acts 10, Acts 19, I do it in the name of Jesus. Why? He's my cleanser. He's my healer. And he's my provider. Run up here, Brother Tom Prince. Where you at? Where's Brother Tom? Come up here. Come here, Brother Tom. I preached about you two Wednesday nights ago. Remember I told you about a man that said, I've been a Christian for 15 years. He said, come on, run up. Come up here. It's my buddy. He lives in hot Florida right now. It's too hot down there. It's nice warm weather up. I mean, cool weather up here. You know the weather's a whole lot better in Zanesville than it is down there in Florida this time of year. Think we can get him to move back? We need to try to get him to move back. Anybody go help me try to get Tom to He told me. He said, I've been a Christian for 15 years. For 15 years, I felt like I've been dragging baggage behind me. Sin behind me. He said, I've had faith. I've been a part of churches. I was saying, he said, but am I telling the truth? He said, but it's been 15 years. He said, and I was praying, sing God, I felt like you have the answer. You know what I did? I took him to Acts 2.38. Then Peter said to them, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. I took him to Acts 22.16. Throw that up there. I got to preach about my Jesus today. Throw Acts 22.16 up there. You got it back there? Amen. Here it comes. Acts 22, 16. And now, and I told him, now why tarriest thou? It's what they told Simon, uh, excuse me, that's what they told the Apostle Paul. And now why tarriest thou? Arise and be baptized and wash away thy sins. How? Calling on the name of the Lord. You know why? He's a cleanser. Amen. He went to the cross to take away your filth, to take away your dirt, to take away your sin. I'm so glad Jesus set me free. How many glad today that he set you free? Amen. Brother Tom, you remember? I remember you started speaking in other tongues. Do you remember that? God filled him with the Holy Ghost. And he told me, he said, this is the first day of the rest of my life. Are you still free? Amen. Give me five. Aren't we glad for what the Lord's been doing? Thank you, Brother Tom. When he said that. When he said, if any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. Watch this. Throw it up there, John 7, 38. For he that believeth on me, Jesus said, talking about himself here at the last day, the last great day of the feast, the Feast of Tabernacles, the last feast of the year. He says, he that believeth on me, as the scripture has said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. And he, when he said living water, those priests got furious. They got angry because what they had poured out on the altar the day before, what they had been pouring out on the altar the week of, talking about living water is going to come. Jesus stands before all the Pharisees, all the Jewish people, those that believed in him and those that hate him. And he said, come unto me if you're thirsty. You had the law. Now all the pool of Siloam had its purpose. But I am the fulfillment of the law. What you were trying to get out of a pool, you can get out of me. Can you say amen? What the pool could not do, let me tell you, I can do. He was sort of saying this, what the blood of goats, Hebrews, and bulls could not ever give you. I can give you. It's not just going to wash away. It's going to totally cleanse you forever from every sin you've ever committed. Are you glad the Lord saved you? Clap your hands and shout amen. Brother Nehemiah, when they would come, 
to the altar for atonement. They would, they would come in. And you, you can be seated. I, I need to hurry. i got to get to John 9 before we quit today. I always thought, thought you know, you'd be standing at the door of the temple and you got your little turtle doves. You can make a little sacrifice to the Lord. You would, you would give according to what you had. And, uh, but my mind goes back to being a kid. I try to get down and live the scripture. You imagine there being, you're standing there with your mom. She's got you and turtle doves. And I look over, my brother's dragging a cow. I'm like, Mom, what in the world did David do? <laughs> Come on, you imagine standing in that long line, people give them, bring their sin offerings, and somebody, somebody got a huge cow, and you know, what in the world they've been doing in secret? Trying to get forgiveness from God. <laughs> That's sort of not biblical, that's just how my mind works. They're offering a sacrifice, but here's what happened. It forgave them, but didn't convert them. It pushed their sin ahead, but that'd have to be back next year. That'd have to be back the next week, because you know what? Because the schoolmaster wasn't good enough. The law wasn't good enough. It could not transform. It could only push away what happened. Man, I feel delivering power right now. But let me tell you something. When the God gets his hands on you, he said... And Jeremiah, he said, not only are they going to teach each other to know me. He said, for they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest of them. For they shall, for, I, for their, their, their sins will I remember again no more. What he was saying was this. When I look out of heaven, I'm not only forgiving, but I'm going to change that person to never want to do that again. When I, when I heal them, they're healed indeed. When they're delivered, they're delivered indeed. I can tell you, you could come to the altar and say, God, I'm sorry for being alcoholic. But when you get up, you don't have to return to the bottle. Come on, crack at it, can come and say, I'm sorry, I believe the life of addiction. But when the pool of Siloam, his name is Jesus, touches you, you can walk out never wanting another addiction to drugs again. Why? Free indeed. What the bull couldn't do, what the pool couldn't do, I can came to come to tell you this morning, God is able to do it for you. He can do it for your family. He can break every curse. Do you believe it? You ought to jump on your feet, clap your hands and shout, God can do it. God can do it. God can do it. God's able to do it. God's able. I came to Jesus, weary, worn, and sad. He took my sins away. He took my sins away. I don't remember the rest of the words, but that's good enough. Oh, the blood of Jesus. Oh, the blood of Jesus. Oh, the blood of Jesus. It washes white as snow. There's nothing like the blood. I'm preaching to you. Every drug addict, everybody in this community needs an opportunity to dip in the pool of Jesus today. Let's get to the point. You may be seated. Jesus in the next chapter. You read it. Go, go home. This is your homework. Make sure you do it. I'll grade it next Sunday, okay? The next chapter. Who do you think you are? I'm the one that's been sent by God. I am the Son of God. And unless you believe that I am He, you will die in your sins, he tells them. They questioned Him. They hated Him. 
He's a blasphemer. He's a false doctrine teacher. They hated him. They despised everything he did. My, 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 my. I'm going to tell you, you read it. He ripped them up one side and down the other. Watch what he said. I'm not going to take time to read it, but go read it. I mean, he, he, just, he just let them have it. He'd had enough. He walks outside the temple in John 9. When he gets outside the temple, I need a blind man. Come here, blind man. Come here. Come here. Just, just, just. Hey, uh, sit, sit right there in the middle of the floor somewhere, yeah. Because they didn't, they didn't treat blind people too good. Because you can't get in the temple if you're blind. Only the perfect can be here. Jesus leaves the temple. They don't like what he's saying. They wanted to kill him, but they wouldn't because there was too many believers that believed in what he was saying. Jesus walks out of the temple, and the question was this. He's not the one sent from God. There's another. Where do you find in Scripture that the prophet came from Galilee? Isn't the prophet supposed to come from Bethesda? I mean, uh, from Bethlehem? Well, they didn't, they didn't even know the song yet, old little town of Bethlehem. They didn't realize because they wouldn't believe. Somebody did tell them, he's from Galilee. Isn't it the prophet? Isn't it the Messiah? Then Isaiah said, he's, he's coming from Bethlehem. They're all questioning the Lord. Can't be him. You know what they called the pool of Siloam? The pool of the Messiah. And they would say, we're waiting on another. They're this close to Jesus, and they don't believe his preaching. I don't want to be so religious, I can't see him when he's near me. That's the problem of religion. They always put God off at a distance anyhow. We should have a God that's personal. Come on, Jesus isn't far away from you. Boy, I feel like preaching. I said, he's not far away from you. And he's not so deep that you're going to drown when you come near him. He didn't, he, didn't, he didn't talk some big with, he didn't walk around with phylacteries hanging off of his clothes. He, he didn't walk around, he, he, he didn't walk in some royal garment. He, he didn't walk above everybody. He didn't tell stories of theology that they could not understand. He's talking to a farmer. He, he talked about sowing the seed. Talked to a merchant. He talked about the pearl great price. Jesus didn't talk so above their head they couldn't relate with him. Matter of fact, he didn't go wait somewhere either and wait everybody come to him. He went to where they were. He got near them. He sat and talked to them. The woman at the well, they were, she was, she was, she was, she was uh, cut off from her whole community. And Jesus goes right and sits right where she is and, and, and talks to her and talks about if, if, if you drink this water, you won't thirst again, but the water that I shall give you. Boy, she didn't even understand at that moment, but I, I, I've come to you. Christians shouldn't be so far above everybody else. They can't relate with sinners and with an unbeliever. And you go to work and act like you're better than everybody else. And tell everybody you shouldn't be talking like that. And you know, you don't have to laugh at the jokes. We don't have to condemn them either. Come on, how many know what I'm talking about? They know they're lost. You know what they're looking for? They're looking for something alive. They're not looking for something condemning. 
Let me tell you what, you can be so holy that you look great on the outside. And he told the Pharisees, he said, but inside you're dead men's bones. There's no life. You're like a sepulcher. You're like a grave. You got a nice headstone, but there's nothing alive in you. Anything that God touches is coming alive. That's what I'm preaching. And if he's on the inside, it ought to be springing up. I can't just get up here and read a sermon. No way. There's too much life bubbling inside of me. Somebody shout life. Somebody shout life. You got to have a spring in your step. You got to have a spring in your voice. There ought to be a spring. Here they are and Jesus teaches and they mock him and he said, I'm the one that was been sent. Except you believe that I'm he, you'll die in your sins. Jesus steps out of the temple and there's a blind man outside the temple hoping somebody could touch him. Of course, you know what the Pharisees did? Good story, the good Samaritan. They just went around, you know. I wish somebody get those people off the steps. I think I preached about this with Gio last week, didn't I? Brother Gio. I had to apologize to him after and say, I'm sorry, I don't want you to think I think you're a hypocrite. I just... Using you as an example. Somebody didn't clean up the steps. We don't want those blind and maimed around the temple in a, in a house of a perfect God. If we don't have needs near the church, if we don't have needs near the church, then maybe we're not the church. Nobody's reaching out. Nobody's touching. Jesus comes out. He sees this man, sees that he's blind. He comes to where he is. He reaches down and he, he probably spoke to him and touched him. Come here. Come here. Been blind from birth. He's blind from birth, the Bible says. And I think blind men had glasses. He can't see him. He can only Hear his voice. Sort of like faith, isn't it? We can't see him. But boy, we can certainly hear him and feel him today, can't we? How many feel like you've heard his voice while I've been preaching? How many heard his voice while they were singing? Come on, how many felt the, how many felt the hand of God come upon you? I don't want our babies ever be outside the kingdom and needing God and nobody's touching them. I want my babies from the time they're here in the shallow end getting a relationship with God. And Jesus kneels down and spits on the ground makes a spittle the Bible says, some clay he anoints his eyes which means he smears in his eyes Spittle. And he says to the blind man that's never seen, go wash your eyes in the pool of Siloam. I don't know if anybody helped him or if through the years he knew the steps. He could have felt his way. Maybe some stick that would feel to make sure he didn't trip and fall. I, I don't know, but he couldn't see. He starts make, making his way to the pool of Siloam. Why didn't you send him to the pool of Bethesda? There were five other pools in the area. Why didn't you send him there? Because you don't want a blind man going to one 13 meters deep. 
he's going to fall in. But he's going to send him one that, ready to help me? If there's somebody that has a need, he's going to send him to one that has a shallow end in it. Just a starting point. You don't have to have it all figured out. Just, just, just Ezekiel 47. Just, it's ankle deep when the river flowed out of the temple of Ezekiel. Come on, y'all with me? Then it got knee deep. Then it got hip deep. Then there was waters to swim in. It seems to be to me that salvation starts in steps. and Just one step at a time. Just... Not this right here. I, I don't believe this is salvation. I, I, I think that's legalism maybe. I, I think that God says, all oh, you that are thirsty, come unto me and drink. I'm going to walk with you down in the pool. Come on. Get down in the pool. And he kneels down. He kneels down at this first level. And he reaches his hands down. And he washes his eyes. <laughs> and when he does, for the first time, he's an adult. The Bible used the term he's of age. I see. I can see. I can see. Look, I, I. Some of you be like, I see. I don't think so. I think he probably did like the crippled man out the gate beautiful. Hey! I can see. My eyes are open. If you're not used to an excited church, can I tell you, every now and then you might hear somebody jump up. Why? Because they see now. They've been healed now. They've been delivered at the pool of Siloam. If you're here today and you were at the wrong place last night, I come to preach to you. There's a shallow end in this pool. If you've been blind to who God is, there's a, there's a shallow end to this pool. One step at a time. One service at a time. One move of God at a time. You're going to get deeper with him. Are you ready for this? He sends people to churches that have shallow ends. You don't have to look, look like a Christian, talk like a Christian, to act like a Christian, to say like a Christian, to start. But when you start, there's another step and another step and another step. And that's why it was the pool of sanctification. Because nobody gets it all in one drop off. We all got it one step. At a time. If you slip up, just keep on wading in. If you mess up, a curse word comes out of your mouth. Don't you say, you know, God doesn't love me. No, I'm at the shallow end. There's a little cleansing I still got to do. But you know what? I'm, I'm going to get closer. And one of these days, I won't be cussing anymore. One of these days, I'm not going to be the way I used to be. You know why? Because God has a deeper place for me. Jump to your feet all over the building if you would. Come here. How many feel the Holy Ghost here today? Clap your hands if you feel the presence of God. Now everybody knows. Have you heard? Remember our old blind man down there? We used to sit outside the temple. Remember the blind man down there? Have you heard? But what about it? He walked back up the steps. He's walking around town. 
He's telling everybody, hey, it's good to see you. <laughs> Probably what they'd say. <laughs> Hear a familiar voice? I always wonder what you look like. <laughs> Cindy, come here for a minute. I'm almost finished, I promise. Scott Graham was preaching a meeting just a few years ago and he said while I was preaching and the move of God began to happen in the service that a lady began to scream in the most shrill voice. <laughs> Everybody turned around and was looking at her. But this lady that was in the church that was blind, God opened her eyes in that service and she had her daughter's face in her hand. And for the first time, was looking at her daughter's face. So excuse us if we get a little rambunctious, but we've been in the pool of Siloam. <laughs> we've been touched by the hand of God. We... What do you need today? What do you need in this room? Oh, preacher, I'm not worthy. There's a first step. Oh, preacher, but you don't, I don't care. He didn't ask him where he did, what he had done. His disciples said, who's seeing him or his parents? Neither. God just going, we're just going, watch this. God's going to be, he's going to be set free. God's going to be glorified. Boy. Before it's over with, the Pharisees called him in. Who healed you? How did it happen? Well, this guy, this guy they call Christ put mud, clay in my eyes and, and uh, told me to go wash the pool of Siloam and I can see. You weren't blind. They sent for his parents. That's the parents. Is this your boy? Yeah, that's our boy. Was he born blind? He was born blind. How does he see? They said, ask him. Because they had a law that anybody that professes Christ will be kicked out of the synagogue. And this is what was said. Who, who healed you? Just, just say God. Give glory to God. He said, all I know is I was blind. But now I see. You ought to believe in him. You Pharisees ought to believe in him. You don't have to have doctrinal revelation to be touched by him. You don't have to have so many verses memorized to be touched by him. You just need to let him touch you. Just start somewhere. Go to the pool. I hear, I hear in the spirit somebody saying it. I've been secretly smoking some weed, Pastor. You're smoking weed because there's something blind. You're smoking weed because there's something broken. You're doing one thing because the, something's issued. And listen to me. It will not heal it. It's only going to magnify it. You're going to magnify the problem with trying to satisfy somewhere else. With what's broken here. But he said, I know where you can get your healing. There's a pool. Somebody shout, there's a pool. 
and it walks in. What's in your life today? Pastor, you don't know what I've been doing in secret. Let me tell you what I know. Is that God said, if you'll just start, I'm going to heal you right here. There's a starting point. It's not a drop off. It's, it's just enough to get your feet in. Get your ankles in. Come on. Anybody believe what I'm preaching? Everybody in this room, lift your hands if you would to the Lord. All I know. Come on, God, in Jesus' name. I need a healing. Come on. Come on, parents. I don't want my children to be lost. I need healed. The blind leave the blind. They're going to fall into the ditch. I need healed. I need, I need healed. I need healed. Come on, somebody in this room. I want you to shout out to God. I need healed. My eyes need open. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Come on, if you need healing in your family, you need healing in your mind, you need healing in your spirit, here's what I want you to do. Invite somebody with you. Next to you, say, let's go to the pool. That's the pool. Jesus is up there. Everybody in the building, there's a touch of God right now that's going to bring healing to your spirit. From day. Hallelujah. Never lose. There's a shallow end. Come on, there's healing in this room. There's healing in this room. God wants to bring delivering power. Come on. Ask somebody next to you, say. Let's start with God. There's a starting point. Everybody in the room, I want you to bow your head. If you haven't come down yet, you can remain where you are and pray, or you can come down. This altar has room. The pool of Bethesda is big enough for everybody. It's big enough for a pilgrimage of people that come from all over the world. It's for the world. Hallelujah. People in this room have been saying, if I could just get back to God. Come on, it's just still a shallow end. No matter how you approach the pool, it starts with steps in every direction. You can start back again, sir. You can start back again, ma'am. Oh, the blood that gives me strength. Everybody in the room, let's bow our heads. We're going to pray together. Jesus said, except you repent. That's something anybody can do and everybody can do. We're going to ask God to forgive us of our sins. How many know that's a starting point? You wouldn't have come today if you didn't have faith. You started. But right now, the next step right now is I want to repent. I need to repent. I need to ask God to forgive me of the things I've done wrong. How many have ever done anything wrong that needed forgiveness? Would you raise your hands? I think that's everybody in the room. You ready to pray? Let's bow our heads and let's ask God to forgive us. Pastor Cody, come. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we pray. 
Everybody in the room, I'm sorry for my sins. I'm sorry for the things that I've done wrong. Lord, I want to be right with you. There's some blind things in my life that need healed. I have felt rejected because of imperfections. I've said outside the temple, oh God, not feeling welcome in the temple. But today, I repent to you because there's a place for me. There's living water going to come over my soul. God, I'm sorry for my sins and every mistake I've made. Today, I need healing. Today, I need cleansing. Today, I need deliverance. Come on, there is healing power right now. Pastor Cohen is going to come and lead the rest of this altar service. But right now, this is the first step. Everybody in the building, I want you to repent. In Jesus' name. on I want you to lift your hands and just seek after the Lord right now come on seek the Lord right now come on all over this building right now the Lord is here the Lord is here from day to day it will never come on the blood of the Lord is here today for it reaches to the high